Welcome to Streetside Talks, where in each episode we'll be speaking to the key individuals that are improving the UK's streets and cities through innovative and transformative projects and initiatives. My name is Richard Lambert and I'm the urban lead at Fair City, a London-based city transport think tank who wants to promote more accessible, equitable and sustainable cities. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dan Raven-Ellison, the infamous UK-based guerrilla geographer, National Geographic Emerging Explorer and leader of the campaign that successfully made London the world's first national park city. Dan's here today to talk to us about his new Slowways project, which during the recent lockdown invited 700 volunteers to create a network of walking routes that connect all of Great Britain's towns and cities, as well as thousands of villages. As the COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted, walking is an essential component of sustainable mobility and creates more accessible, livable and healthy, people-focused environments. It's therefore a pleasure to have Dan here today to find out more about Slowways and to discuss its importance in improving the UK's streets and places. Welcome, Dan. Great to have you with us. Could you let us know where you're joining us from? Yeah, good to be with you. Um, yeah, I'm in Hanwell in West London, which is far west, deep west London, not too far from Southall. And just to start us off, as many listeners may know, you're an experienced geographer and explorer who's kind of walked and explored both urban and rural locations across the globe. But where's been your most interesting recent experience? I think for me, sometimes it's just been discovering places actually which have been quite local to me that maybe I hadn't really noticed that they were there for different reasons. I mean just close to where I live in, in Hanwell for example, I'm very lucky to uh, live very close to the Grand Union Canal, I'm on the Capital Ring which is a strategic 120 kilometer loop that goes around between inner and outer London which I strongly recommend to anyone who fancies a really big hike around the capital. But when you walk along the, the Capital Ring um, where I am in, in Ealing, there's some really big golf courses. And I just became hyper aware during, um, you know, the COVID lockdown and how effectively we've got these really large private parks throughout our cities, private parks, which you can access temporarily and enjoy temporarily uh, during the lockdown. And it just seemed to be very unjust really that, that, that we can't use those spaces more of the time. They're not very good multifunctional spaces really. They're quite exclusive in their nature. But then also going slightly further afield, um, enjoying more walks close to where I sort of grew up in, in around sort of Hampshire, discovering the hang Hangers Way and the South Downs far more. I think it's absolutely incredible just how quickly you can get up to some really high elevation and some really deep old routes uh, that crisscross that part of the country. So both discovering stuff hyper-local, but also rediscovering and exploring places that were close to my childhood as well. Great. And uh, I think I can testify to, to some of those as well, looking at like, the Capital Ring. I think that's, I've almost finished it. I've got one more section to do that I haven't been, haven't done for about a year. So I need to go and do that. Um, but I think some of the issues you're talking about there, like about equity and access to public private space, maybe we can touch upon that later in the podcast as well. And I think what you talked about there, all those different varieties of places you've been walking, I think that brings us nicely into talking about the slow ways and, and obviously introducing it. And just to sort of start off with, you've, you've called slow, the slow ways, the reimagination of the footpaths that we already have. And can you tell us what the Slowways project is all about, what it's doing differently, and why it's so important right now? Well, in some ways, they're just about remembering why we have our footpaths in the first place. And we're very lucky to have about 200,000 kilometers of public rights of way um, in Great Britain. And then clearly within Scotland, you've then got even more open access land where you've got even more potential to explore. But you know, the, re the original reason why we had footpaths was that they would connect 
neighboring villages, towns, and cities, so that people could see family, friends, so they could trade goods. Maybe they would want to push themselves a little bit further and go on a big adventure for trading or for a pilgrimage or something like that. But outside of maybe the sort of suburban footpaths and those that are very close to our towns and cities, I think most of those footpaths we have now, people think of them for recreational purposes, purely for leisure purposes. Quite often maybe going to a starting point that is somewhere rural and then walking to somewhere else that's rural, doing everything you can to avoid the towns and the cities. But, but that sort of recreational use we have for them now forgets that original heritage about why we had them in the first place. So the slow ways is about looking at our footpaths and looking at our roads and sort of saying, well, our road network is really quite easy to imagine and to understand why you would use that both for recreational purposes, see friends, for family, to enjoy yourself, but also for functional purposes as well, to go and do your work, you know, um, whatever it may be. And the slow ways of saying, well, actually, when you look at our footpaths, although we've got loads of them, it's a bit like a big pile of spaghetti on a plate, really, where, yes, there's some footpath signs in some places that tell you that you're on a footpath. Um, and then, yes, some things are named, but quite often with quite an elusive historic name, like the Monarch's Way or the Pilgrim's Way, which is great if you know what those things are. Um, and many that just don't really tell you anything about them at all. So the, the slow ways is just trying to create, remember some of that history that I talked about, but also to create a bit of a, a system, a bit of a, a network that's easy for people to understand how they might walk to a neighboring town or city or village or combine multiple routes for longer distance journeys. But the, the way that it works is that, if you imagine you might have three neighboring settlements, well, the way that looks like on the map, on the slowways map is a, a nice triangle. So what you end up with across two and a half thousand principal destinations that are connected, are these beautiful geometric patterns where not only does it become easy to imagine how you might walk to a neighboring place, but how you can make these longer distance journeys. I think what the slowways do as well is not only for me, open up my imagination to the idea of making some of these journeys, not just for fun, but for functional purposes. But they also, I think, open up the countryside and exploring the country to be far more um, accessible and inclusive for many people. So our national trails, which I think are absolutely amazing and beautiful and one of the best things in the country, like, for example, you know, going the Offerdyke Trail or, the, or uh, going on the Pennine Way, wherever you might think of, the problem, I think, with some of those long distance routes is that they, they go from rural places to rural places through rural places. And, and what that means is that, firstly, you're not connecting the places where most people are and where most people want to go to. Right. So from a demand and supply side, they're not the richest of routes. But as well as that, if you want to go out and enjoy those routes recreationally, they're actually quite technically hard to organise yourself for because you've got to find pubs that you can sleep in, maybe that are affordable. You've got to work out where you're going to sort of start and stop each day and there may or may not be a bus and like just how do you organize a 100 kilometer plus journey and for most people that's just simply alienating in slow ways each route segment is somewhere between 10 and 15 kilometers normally and each day you'll finish in a town a city or a really large village and when you get there you can choose to eat at tesco or the kebab shop or you could go and eat in a five-star hotel you can sleep on a sofa an airbnb or a travel lodge which means that not only can people imagine the journey that they might take going down the slow way, but when they get there, making these journeys will be easier and more affordable and open up the journeys for people as well. But having said that, you know, um, 
if you want to walk, for example, from Sheffield to Manchester, you're still going to take yourself through some pretty beautiful bit of Peak District National Park and some amazing countryside. So it's not like you're giving up necessarily if you're doing these routes just for enjoyment's sake. You're not necessarily giving up on those you know, really wonderful parts of, of exploring the country as well. I find it really interesting how the network is tying together these picturesque, more traditional rural walking routes with walking routes into urban cities, towns and villages and the issues that this process kind of brings together around for things like improving accessibility and the walking environments between the two. How do you choose which places should be connected together in the Slowways network? Well, to start with, I was imagining it being a network that just connected um, the UK's about 70 cities. I mean, as in classified as cities in the UK. And I got thinking about that and realised, well, St David's has got a population of only like a handful of people, uh, the smallest city in the UK. And then you've got other towns which have much larger populations than cities. So a city classification isn't good enough. But then weirdly, you've also got some villages that are larger than towns. So the traditional classification within our vernacular just isn't quite good enough, really. So um, I mapped out the, the 1,000 most populated places um, in the UK included all the towns and cities as well but then looked at both ordnance surveys and uh, the department for transport's principal destinations which then also includes down in the southwest for example or up in scotland some really quite small villages but relative to the communities and the area where they, which they're in are strategically very important as well so you end up with about two and a half thousand nodes which are the ends of each of these slowways but then, of course, on each slowway, you might then pass through any number of, of villages as well. But one of the ways in which the slowways is quite different that people may not uh, at first realise about the network is quite an innovative approach, I think, where rather than trying to create one definitive route for getting between two neighbouring settlements, a slowway is the principle that you should be able to walk between those two neighbouring settlements. But then you might then have um, a dozen route options for making that journey. And the priority for slowways is on being safe and direct and easy to understand. But it might be that actually a longer route would be more accessible, for example. Um, mm -hmm. So what we'll end up with is an ecology of routes where people can pick the routes that they think are the best. And then we can then start to surface the ones that are most popular for whatever reason. And then those can become like the, the recommended routes within the network. So rather than trying to deal with the micro politics of all the different walking groups who would rather you turned left or right at the next turnstile, which could become a nightmare century of not getting anywhere and um, in reality we can allow different competing ideas to both coexist but for the most popular ones to surface i think that's a really interesting way to kind of get to that point where you can define which is the most accessible or best route between these two nodes and it sounds like the the slowest network will be a real mix of both hard surface sort of footways along the side of roads for example and crossing country rural routes as well is that right so it'll be a real mix in terms of the type of walking routes that will it will, it will include yeah i mean a, a complete mix i haven't actually done an analysis yet on what proportion of the routes are um need to go down country lanes or in suburban areas or in the countryside but I think it's worth remembering that although urban areas are important in our collective imagination, um, you know, houses and gardens only make up something like five to six percent of the UK. So I should imagine that of the uh, seven and a half thousand routes that um, that 700 volunteers made during lockdown, I should imagine that only about 10 percent of those routes are in urban areas. There is some places where there's some country lane walking. 
mm-hmm. um, which often actually is completely fine. And many people will know that a lot of country lanes are completely fine to walk down. Um, but I think one of the interesting parts of the slow ways, which excites me the most, is you know at the moment Ramblers have a fantastic campaign called Don't Lose Your Way, which ultimately is about by um, I think it's the 2020-25 deadline, um, making sure that uh, we've recorded all of the um, footpaths and rights of way that people have used historically in the country to make sure they're properly uh, protected. Um, which what Slowways will do is, for every route that connects two neighbouring settlements, we know how much they deviate from um, the as a crow flies uh, sort of journey. And so what that means is that we could start to then list out almost the, the, the neighboring settlements that have the worst deviations and also the deviations that maybe include, you know, walking down roads that really people shouldn't be walking down at all. And what I hope is that that will, that will trigger and inspire parish councils, local groups to be thinking about where we need new paths. I mean, it's all very well working hard and thinking about saving the stuff we've already got, but I think we need to be a little bit more aggressive about saying, well, do you know what we need? New paths to have better connections between neighbouring settlements, both in the context of COVID, but also in the context of you know the the, the climate emergency. Yeah, I think that that last point you made there is, is key, and I think we'll, we'll be coming on to that very shortly about that role that slowways could have in terms of identifying how we can improve the walking environment and what role that might have in encouraging people to walk more in terms of sustainable mobility. Just um, just one more thing you talked about there. You mentioned the fact that seven hundred volunteers had been part of developing the slowways network and just wondering what stage development the slowways project is at right now so during lockdown we had the 700 volunteers create these um routes using a combination of the os maps um consumer facing platform which was absolutely brilliant for that purpose and then just using google sheets like massive google sheets with lots of people collaborating to then coordinate um that that effort the next challenge that we're currently fundraising for and building capacity for is creating a platform which will enable people to go out this autumn, hopefully this autumn, to go and explore, test, feedback on the routes, maybe suggest um, other routes as well. Um, And so um, we're hoping to recruit 10,000 people to go and explore what is 100,000 kilometres of route. So that's on average 10k each, although some people I'm sure will walk much more and some people may do Mm -hmm. very little at all. And, you know, what, what is really exciting, I think, is that, you know, not only did we have an incredible response from people during lockdown who wanted to volunteer on the project, but within a week of um, our first tweet, a week ago from the Slowways Twitter handle, nearly 10,000 people have followed that Twitter account. So I think there's a real appetite for something like this, which is not only about people enjoying themselves and geeking out over maps and geeking out over walking, but has a really clear focus and mission, you know, purpose, where collectively we can create something together at a time when it feels that maybe other things are falling apart. That's really exciting. I think that response really shows how interested people are in it and potential this can have. So picking up where we were talking about there about the role of slowways in terms of mobility and sustainability, with many kind of cities and towns already developing walking and cycling networks, such as Great Manchester's Beelines programme or London's recently launched Footways project, how does the slowways network link with existing walking or even like cycling routes, for example, and local, more kind of local sustainable transport strategies? Well, you know, I think the first thing to point out is, I mean, for me as a user of technology around walking, 
I'm really aware of the fact that I would use City Mapper or Google Maps to give me an idea of how I might want to walk something in an urban area. I probably wouldn't use suggested routes unless it was a strategic um, offering where, like with footways, for example, I'll go out of my way to have a, a tranquil experience. Or um, if I'm doing something like the, the, um, the London Loop or the Capital Ring. Having said that, you know, I really hope that things like the Footways Project, that, that the big tech firms take that data and bring it into their algorithms so that when Google or whoever says to me, you know, um, here are your three options for walking into central London, uh, which for me is like a four hour walk, um, that it would show the footway or the, uh, you know, like a tranquil way. The tranquil city have done sort of similar work as well. So what makes, I think, slow ways different to some of those things is that it's saying that actually the algorithms, I think, fall short when it comes to into town and intercity walking. You know, if you want to walk from London to Glasgow, you know that Google is probably going to kill you on an A road. Um, and you know that the open street map algorithms won't necessarily um, be as human centered as you might want them to be in terms of making sure that you pass pubs sometimes and avoid roads sometimes and you know, looking at um, a, a country lane and saying, do you know what? We don't need to walk down this particular lane because this particular bend with those particularly high hedges make this corner like really quite shady. And the algorithms just aren't quite there yet to give that sort of that, that, that human centered side of it. But the other thing that I think is good about the approach is that because we're mostly focused on the nodes that have been connected rather than how you make that journey, it means the projects are both forwards and backwards compatible. So in other words, if the National Cycle Network um, has a route to get from, I don't know, Bristol to Bath, which I know that it does down like an old abandoned railway line, um, then there's nothing stopping us from pulling in that previously suggested route to connect those two nodes. Or if someone else came up with a better or more creative way in the future, for that way to connect the two nodes. So it's, it's a way of thinking and it's a methodology, but it's also backwards compatible with other kinds of projects where people are suggesting routes that go between the same two places. I think that's key, isn't it? And to make sure that any future projects are kind of future-proof and flexible and like you said, backwards compatible with existing, existing projects. And I mean, really picking up on some of the points talking about how Slow Ways is, is more than just about leisure walking and as it's kind of striving to create more utility focused mobility um, and encouraging people to walk these ancient routes between settlements that some of them are very walkable distances in terms of if you're just walking to your local shops or your local village. And it's interesting that the network can be used to encourage people to travel more sustainably between their towns, cities and villages. Do you, do you firstly think that long-term improvements could be made to walking infrastructure in the UK based on the slow network? And what role do you see the network playing in, in encouraging sustainable mobility? Well, like I said before, I think there's definitely something in the fact that we know that there is, we know that there are routes within the slowways network that are unacceptable because you're having to walk too far, or we know that there's obstacles or dangers along the way that mean that, you know, they're just not acceptable. And so we want to flag those and then hopefully new routes can be created, which are more accessible. But there's, there's another project as well, which, which I think needs to be done in collaboration with councils and charities and different organisations, including Slow Ways, but it, it needs to be a shared responsibility. It's particularly around um, the mapping of and discussions around removing obstacles. So, you know, most of us will have disabilities at some point, you know, um, during our lives, whether that's that we... Um, 
have particular access requirements in terms of being in wheelchairs or um, pushing buggies if you're um, uh, uh, parents, maybe with you know one child or triplets, whatever it might be. There's all kinds of reasons why people might struggle with all kinds of obstacles from kissing gates to turnstiles in the countryside. So I think there's a job to map out these, these barriers so that people can make informed decisions about whether they want to make a journey or not, but then also think about other ways of opening up those routes so that more people are able to, to do them. But the thing is that a project around mapping out those obstacles is complicated because obstacles come and go and obstacles are of a different nature for different types of people. So I think there needs to be a, a collaborative national project where um, essentially there's communities of people who are mapping out these things continually, but then all the people who are offering up uh, mapping for walking, whether it's ViewRanger or OS or Ramblers or whoever, um, can share those with their, with their members, their communities. Yeah, I, th I think that there's, there's massive scope for that. And it, especially when, councils so local authorities or county councils are already uh, having to map out and look at where they can make these improvements to walking and cycling routes within their sort of local cycling and walking investment plans i think there's this huge scope to sort of bring this all, all together and, and and make these improvements in a coherent way yeah we, we were speaking to i was speaking to a council up in scotland um we've got different layers of this slow way so the the priority is on connecting these most populated places but then it's interesting to think about how it might then work at a city scale rather than at a national scale. And then it becomes about not just connecting up neighborhoods, but thinking about, for example, where is it that most people work or in terms of cultural and sporting destinations, how you can connect people to, through to those places. So I think that finding ways to invite people and support people to make those direct journeys, then also helps to create the politics of demand and frustration that hopefully will remove some of those obstacles. Yeah, I agree. And it creates that pressure, doesn't it, to, to, to maybe make these improvements if people are actually saying we want to use them. And so oh, this, this is the slow way and it's not acceptable. Looking at some of the kind of uh, one of the key issues around encouraging more people to, to, to use sort of active modes of transport, like walking and cycling, often is that it needs to be fundamentally linked with public transport and, and infrastructure. And, and people need to be able to kind of connect and interchange between walking, cycling and using the bus, train, what have you. How does the service network link with public transport hubs and, and use? Well, you know, like I was saying at the beginning about, you know, I was talking about how one of the benefits of having these routes connecting neighbouring settlements um, is that when you get to the other end, normally there's a, a shop where you can buy a sandwich or there's a cheap hotel where you can stay. But the other thing is that the vast majority of destinations within the network um, also finish at either train or bus terminals and we particularly ask volunteers working on the routes to finish at train stations as long as they were you know fairly central within the, the network really um, and then on the routes as well wherever possible to go through places where we know there's train or bus network as well so what that means is not only can you complete a journey and then continue your journey um, through public transport but i think on from a recreational point of view if you want to um, go on a walk through the countryside um, but don't have a car well they can get themselves to Slough for example um, get off the train there go for a walk through Burnham beaches and up to I don't know where you want to end like Maidenhead or somewhere and then get on the train to come home again so it just means that the, the whole notion of how you might organize a circular walk for yourself um, this approach opens up more opportunities for more people i think it's, i'm not suggesting that people don't or, already get train places to go on walks that's not what i'm saying but the, the the structure of the mapping 
of the geometry of how the slowways works particularly invites people to make those kinds of journeys in the kinds of places where they maybe wouldn't have thought to have gone for a walk before. That really links nicely into kind of what I want to talk about next is really about accessibility and equity. And I think that for making sure that it's linked within uh, sort of public transport networks is really key. And I think providing that accessibility and inclusivity is essential if people are to be sort of encouraged to walk more. And how have these kind of uh, ideas been factored into the development of slowways? I mean, you've talked about previously the concept of durability rather than accessibility for slowways. And I wonder what, if you let us know a bit about what that means. Yeah, we're still working this bit out and it might take a bit of time to get it completely right. But essentially, you know, so there's, there's obvious things like around a project around obstacles and barriers that we then tell people um, where there are specific things that might stop someone from completing a route who um, have particular mobility requirements. But, you know, there was, there was a bit of a, a, a fruity, um, sort of energised conversation amongst volunteers when we were looking at um, a, a quite challenging 60 kilometre hike through the highlands of Scotland, connecting a couple of different quite small settlements. And what people brought to the conversation was the idea that, you know, that the slow ways are about connecting neighbouring settlements, that they are um, easy, that they're direct. Um, and most of them are like, 10 kilometers long or something and there are hundreds that are just five kilometers long for example so for some people the idea of a 60 kilometer route felt like it was outside of what it was we were trying to achieve where i'd specifically said that really routes shouldn't be more than 20 kilometers without there being somewhere you can sort of sleep for the night um but the thing is that there's some people who can't walk five kilometers comfortably and there are some people who will really relish and enjoy and walk 60 kilometers maybe with some sore feet at the end of the day, but quite comfortably or as comfortably as a person who might struggle with five kilometers. So what we want to try and do is think about this concept of durability, where when someone logs into the platform, um, not only do we know some of the things that might prevent someone from making a journey or slow them down, but we know something about them as well. And the simple thing that, you know, you might know, for example, is how far someone's willing to walk in a single day. Um, and by knowing how far people are willing to walk, that might then mean that when, they're thinking about making a journey over a number of days from say Birmingham to Huddersfield um, you might actually then route them different ways because they want to do um, they might want to do more shorter segments rather than fewer longer segments but then you add on other layers of complexity in terms of for example elevation or wanting to avoid canals or avoid lane walking um, and again different people will have different preferences around those challenges and that's what we want to explore as well but we haven't quite worked out how we deal with the subjectivity of doability um, when people are in the system. Fair enough. It's it's a bit it's a big a big task really, especially when you're looking at such a, a diverse network in terms of looking moving both within urban and rural locations and very different walking environments. But um, well, it's about knowing um, it's about knowing who people knowing enough about who people are in terms of what their needs are, as well as what the landscape is offering them but doing that in a way that's not creepy and invading on their, uh, you know, their privacy. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's key as well. I mean, just to touch on the, the points you made there, it would be interesting to know what it will, the, the interface will look like in terms or what you're envisioning the interface will look like in terms of how people will access the Slowways network in terms of knowing where, where these routes are. So 
you know, what we're working towards is that you can land on the homepage and there you can browse all the routes. Eventually you'll be able to say, I'm in Huddersfield and I want to get to Inverness. How do I do that? You can search that and it would give you a recommended way to, to make that journey. Potentially in the future, based on this variables around doability and maybe some restrictions you want to put on that. But then you can also drill down further then and click on a page to see a slow way. And remember that slow way then might then show you several different route options. You can then click through on a route page and on that route page, you can then not only download the route um, and browse it, uh, but you can comment on it, rate it and um, share your thoughts on it to help advise other people whether or not they might want to do that route. But also crucially, if you think you can do better than the person who's created that route, you can suggest an alternative as well. So the idea is we create something that is very collaborative um, and open. And then the ambition is that every few months, um, we'll have these, these routes, which we're sort of inspired by like ecological succession, where in ecological succession is the idea where um, you might have an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean that's just formed through some volcanic activity. And the very first plants are called the pioneer plants. And then over a number of uh, years, decades, centuries maybe, eventually you end up with a forest in that place. And that forest is called the climax community. So at the moment what we have is our pioneer routes, which may be the best routes, um, but what's quite likely to happen is that we'll have more and more routes uh, suggested until eventually we have our, a network of climax routes, like that climax community of, of plants. And then every few months we can release wherever we are in that process of, of succession. And then the, that network of routes can then be used by other platforms, other organisations um, within their own searching and routing. Um, so rather than it being that we're trying to create a platform where um, everything is held um, within the Slowways platform and that's the only place where you'd come across these routes. The idea is actually to try and become um, a, a, as open, as collaborative with them as we can. And I mean, that, I, mean I, like, I like that comparison with the, kind of, with, with the natural sort of process of ecological, ecological succession there. And I think it really kind of create, paints a, a really interesting picture of how we can, how you're going to get to this final network with the, with the Slowways. And kind of touching on that as well, I mean, given that the Slowways is going to be designed to be kind of universally used, what will that look like in terms of sort of, uh, for example, online versus physical infrastructure? I mean, what you're talking about there, it all sounds quite like it would be mainly online based, but is there a vision for it, it being, having a different presence? I think the other kind of presence that we'll have, which is already starting to bubble away, but I think will be one of the strongest attributes actually, is story and storytelling and word of mouth and people sharing um, um, their experiences and their photography through social media, um, having conversations in pubs, in books, this kind of thing. And so I really hope that, that, that the way of thinking, the slow ways way of thinking, um, becomes not just a principle for thinking about how we organize our walking around the country, but also something a bit deeper in our culture in the way that, the, the way we think about ourselves as slow wayers and our approach to walking as well. But yeah, you know, there's, there's a future where potentially we have some signed slow ways routes in the future where you could be out and about in the countryside and, and see something. If there's a way of doing that sensitively, I think that'd be a good thing to do. Um, uh, and I think the other thing that we might see as well is um, um, slow ways appearing on maps, like physical printed maps as well. So I think it can manifest itself in different ways. But what I really hope is that different local communities, whether the local councils or parish councils, We'll look and see how the project's developing 
bring it to life in a way that's appropriate for their local community, but through some some shared principles, methodology, and imagery, actually also, you know, when you're in different parts of the country, still have a sense of, of how it all fits together. It seems like from what you're saying, collaboration is, going to be, is a key part of the slow ways and the collaboration could vary depending on the location, depending on how engaged the communities or local authorities are. But I mean, who knows in the future, there could be like a, a, play, a time when actually that kind of physical infrastructure could be possible, which would be really exciting, I think. Looking at an, another area in terms of the impact stories might have, so it's been proven that kind of walking-related improvements to high streets and urban neighbourhoods can increase economic sustainability um, of those areas, whether that's through kind of land value going up where you're creating more walkable-friendly uh, environments or the, or the kind of factors around the fact that pedestrians often spend more money than people that drive, to, for example, to high streets. And there's a lot of studies that have shown that, that, that this, tr- this is true and it kind of backs up the, the need to invest more in walking infrastructure. What kind of economic impact do you think that the Slowies Network could have? Well, I think it had an economic impact in a number of different ways, but you know, I've currently been doing some thinking around um, COVID-19 and interestingly thinking about the language around flattening the curve of the, the disease. But actually, I think with, with tourism and the outdoor sectors specifically, there's a challenge to, to flatten some curves there, both through time and space. So at the moment, what we've seen is we came out of lockdown. People can't leave the country. They're going on holiday in the UK. And then we have these hot spots around particular mountains, particular beaches, around certain national parks, AONBs, where essentially um, the local community can't really quite cope with the level of demand. And not enough people can then afford to go and, or have the ability to go and enjoy those places. At the same time, there are many communities that have always depended on a really strong summer season and arguably been over-dependent on a summer season and have lost their summer season largely, especially their spring, and so are significantly down. So there's a really strong argument for needing to find strategies to both encourage people to visit more parts of the UK, but also to not just go and enjoy themselves in the summer and spend a lot of money then, but actually maybe spread those journeys out um, throughout the year so that not only they but communities are benefiting from that activity throughout autumn and winter as well and so I think that the idea of promoting and supporting walking but in a targeted way to encourage more of those kinds of activities in, in, a, in a more lengthened out way and in a more distributed way I think is a very interesting potential benefit I mean I'm you know I'm not under some illusion where you know suddenly it's going to slow ways are going to transform everything for everybody but when you consider that one in four people in the UK um, have been on a strategic footpath within the last year, you know, it's not small numbers of people that we're talking about who enjoy walking or this could have an impact on. But I think on a more, on a more personal level as well, you know, the way that people spend money and save money could, could be different as well. So within the pinch that we're going to experience very shortly and many people are experiencing now, but I say pinch like worst recession we've had in centuries. Um, People may well choose or want to find other ways to make journeys other than paying for public transport, both because they worry about their health, but they want to save money as well. So if people are saving money because they are um, walking to make journeys, then not only will they then spend those ma- that money made in different ways and make them more economically resilient as individuals, but it'd be just interesting to consider um, what are the kinds of shops or places that people might want to stop in to buy foods, water 
whatever they need if they're making a, you know, going on a 10 kilometer walk. So again, I don't think that it's going to be like revolutionary for the country. Um, but I think that, that, that the slow ways has a potential just to sort of, just shifting slightly um, in terms of the, of the patterns of some people's behaviours. Coming towards the end there, I'd just like to touch a bit on the kind of funding and business model behind the slow ways. And you can see the Ordnance Survey and National Geographic have been involved in the slowways project it seems so far. And could you explain a bit about the business model behind Slowways and how you plan on funding it in the future? Yeah, well, I mean, National Geographic have been involved only so far as writing a couple of articles that have helped promote it, which I'm very grateful for that publicity. And OS um, have collaborated with us using their sort of consumer-facing um, platform, which I think there's about a million users of now in the country, which is, you know, really brilliant. Um, so it's been brilliant collaborating with them. Going forward, you know, th there are a number of different people and groups and organisations who might benefit from the slow ways. But I'm just very, very conscious of the fact that, we're that yes, it's about roots, but it's also about community. You know, this is a project which was made predominantly in lockdown by uh, people volunteering. What I think is probably, if you take all the volunteering hours, those 700 volunteers, it's almost like a year of con continuous solid volunteering, you know, um, of, of time. And so I want to maintain that spirit. So we do need some revenue streams in order to make the project successful. But I think that there is sensitive ways to bring in enough funding to make the project work without it becoming like an advertising engine. You know, um, sure. uh, having said that as well, I'm very conscious of the fact that 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 I, I don't want to do things that block innovation. So I'm going to be really interested to see that when we release these different waves, these different um, points of the routes we're creating, I'm very interested to see how people innovate around that data, both for social purposes. Um, but, you know, there's some commercial platforms out there that have very large followings of walkers on them and working with them and allowing them to use the data will be one of the most effective ways of, for example, um, convincing someone who's currently a purely a recreational walker to maybe thinking about doing some functional journeys as well. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. At the moment, I'm not too worried about the, the financial side of it because I know that it's just a really cool project and, and it'll work its way out. And there are a number of different options. I'm mostly interested in, in safeguarding the, the spirit of what we've created and the interest of those people who have given a lot of their time for free for, for that purpose. I think just just to finish up, it'd be good, it'd be good to focus on the future and what the vision for Slowways might be. And um, and I know you touched on it a bit as we've been talking. And just want to draw a bit upon some of the, your work with the National Park City campaign and linking it to it. So, as part of that, you used terminology that was designed to kind of inspire real change within cities and by posing kind of evocative questions such as "What if?" and and "Why not?" And I wonder what what change you would like the Slowways program to make, and what is the "What if" scenario for you? Well, what if, you know, it just became part of everyday speech for people to say, you know, I'm taking the slow way, or let's go the slow way. And what if there was a strong enough, recommended, verifiable network that you could choose to go the slow way to New York or Sydney from Glasgow? And what if, what it meant to go the, go the slow ways wasn't just about walking, but, you know, at the moment, if I wanted to sail by tall ship in an affordable way across the Atlantic. I don't know where I'd start with that really. I'm not sure many people would know where they would start. So the idea that you could walk or cycle to ports 
and then decide whether you want to kayak or sail to some distant place. I think is super exciting. So I, I think that the the kind of methodology and the structures and also the needs that we see within Britain, I think are very similar to those elsewhere in the world. But then depending on where you are in the world, the, the, the political landscape of access is very different depending on where you are in terms of whether there are footpaths and that kind of thing. I mean, walking in the United States is a very different beast to the UK. On, on one scale, you've got incredible national trails that have camping along them and are, you know, maybe far more famous and ambitious maybe than some of the relatively small ones we have in the UK. And yet there's parts of the US where, you know, you can't really get anywhere unless you're driving in a car. So the way in which slowism might manifest itself in the US might be very different than it is to the UK, but our needs as humans to be able to walk between our neighbors um, is, is the same. So yeah, my what ifs are about just the slow ways becoming very every day, but also ambitious enough that the idea of walking the slow way to Sydney is kind of, you know, extraordinary in its ambition, but maybe not extraordinary in terms of the network that's been created. But that's, you know, big dreams. I mean, I, I like that. I like that. I think that is inspiring that adventurous spirit, even in the idea of making everyday walking routes more uh, usual, but also then thinking actually how, how can we take that further? I think that's really exciting. What's next for Slowways? And I know you talk about volunteers being involved. Is, is there a call for more people to get involved in the future? Yeah, I, I mean, my sort of vision on this really is that that process of succession to get us to a point where we've got you know, enough verified, highly recommended routes for the whole country, whole of the country. You know, we may well, by next spring, through our first wave of volunteers, have, you know, an initial network that is, is very walkable. But I think, you know, it could take five years to get enough people walking enough routes to start coming up with some, um, some data that be able to tell us, like, actually, no, this is a really, really strong network now. So, um, you know, it's a collaborative project that, that I'm not sure where it will end. And anyone listening to this is welcome to get involved as a critic of the routes, someone who wants to create better routes, someone who wants to uh, walk to COP next year from wherever they live, you know, using the routes, or whether you're a storyteller and you want to bring them to life that way. There's, there's so many ways in which people can get involved um, and that won't change. Great. And to finish us off, where do you see your next walking adventure taking you? Uh, that's a very good question. Well, I, you know, I think that my next walking adventure is definitely it's going to be to go and test out slow ways in different parts of the country. And I think that a few years ago, I would have thought that I wanted to like walk John O'Groats to Land's End using the slow ways or something. But I'm really interested in doing some, some like unexpected, just very normal traverses from the west to the east of the country from places that people wouldn't necessarily think that you would necessarily you know walk between so maybe going from like um hereford to leicester or something um or going from leicester to huddersfield um maybe, you know just some some journeys which should just be very very normal and things that any number of people might actually take but aren't like those sort of high profile glamorous routes that maybe would turn lots of people on, you know, walking from London to Edinburgh or John O'Groats Land's End, like I say. So yeah, I'm just going to be thinking about some of those traverses that I could take um, and testing some routes along the way as well. 
I think I think that's great. And I think that really brings together the essence of, of the slow ways and, and how we look trying to encourage is trying to encourage people to walk those routes that weren't usually walked before. And and whether that's for short or long distances, I think that accessibility and sustainability is key to it. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Dan. Thank you, Richard. If you want to find out more about slow ways or the work that Dan is up to, you can follow him on Twitter at Dan Raven Ellison and on his website, ravenellison.com. You can also find out more about Fair City and our work on Twitter at fair underscore city and on the website faircity.org. Stay tuned for another edition of Streetside Talks coming soon and thank you for listening.